How you doing, folks? And welcome to The Gapper, episode four. So today we're going to be looking at Chris Hewton. And how appropriate is it, David, that we're covering Chris Hewton a day after Ghana qualified for the World Cup? He's, of course, their technical director. It was a coincidence, though. We, we, we had planned this weeks ago, hadn't we? We're ahead of the curve. We are. We just felt it. We just knew it was going to happen. Um, so we're all going to be supporting <laughs> Ghana at the World Cup now, aren't we? Yeah, I might as well. No one... <laughs> That's how I bother watching it, if I'm honest. Um, I'd imagine it'd be a huge, huge drop off from the World Cup. Who wants to watch the World Cup at Christmas time, eh? It'd be interesting to see if that gets boycotted. Um, well, we no. boycotted it, didn't we? Ireland, we were yeah, qualified I was, for it. I was, so. was going to say, we might as well boycott it um, by not qualifying. Italy boycotted it as well, didn't they? By, by losing yeah. Macedonia. So no, Chris... no, no, fuck them. They, they just didn't qualify. Yeah, but I mean, Chris Chris Eaton might have a, a clear run to the the World Cup uh, to win the World Cup. So he's t- I I thought he was the manager. He's actually the the technical director, um, but has a lot of say over over team issues and so on. But today we will be talking about his club career, so mainly his Premier League career. So, uh, I, I suppose a manager of great interest in recent years, Dave, isn't he? Because I mean, we've had. A couple of managerials, um, managerial changes in the last decade or so. Of course, we've covered the Trapatoni era. We've covered the the O'Neill era. Um, of course, we covered Mick Part Two, didn't we? His his great comeback and Chris Hutton's name has always been been mentioned. It's never been a realistic one, uh, but it, it always gets mentioned mainly because he 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 played for us. He coached us. He's one of the few Irishmen who's who's managed for some kind of longevity in the in the Premier League, but uh, no, no, he's, he's he's never he's never realistically been on the radar for us. But but there's a there's a romanticized idea about that, Dave, isn't there? Because I mean, uh, as as we're going to discuss today, his his style of football isn't exactly the the sexy uh, you know kind of free flowing football that people assume it is. It it, it is quite bland. Yeah, he, he seems to kind of. I mean, I like Chris Hutton. I've met him. A lovely, lovely guy. Gentleman. And even before I met him, I always carry he's a gentleman. When when I used to work down at Brighton, part of the security operation down there, and he'd always come out and he'd always be meeting all the staff. Like, if you walk past any security folks when you do your briefing or any of the, the front of house staff, you know, he'd always be coming over and saying, saying hello. Like, really lovely guy. Um, But, yeah, very good, very accomplished manager, very good coach. But he's one of those. Um, it's a bit like when Martin O'Neill took over as Ireland manager. They all thought he was this really great. Because to show you, little people pay attention to football. You know, they thought Martin O'Neill was this really great. Oh yeah, you play attacking football and all that. I remember, my mate saying to me before he was brought in, it's just going to be the same as Trapattoni. Like it's just yeah. Trapattoni. You know, I think what was a dump he said is Trapattoni with an Northern Ireland accent. <laughs> and I think Chris Hutton would be the same. Well, it'd be the same thing, isn't it? It's sort of like survival football, isn't it? You, you, you definitely... He's, he's a systematic coach, isn't he? I mean, his yeah. big thing is having um, having a, a solid unit and a, and a very, very organized team. His teams have always been ridiculously organized, but sometimes... He, yeah, sometimes that sacrifices things like style and the sacrifices things like goals. Uh, yeah, a lot of success in the championship. I uh, kind of wear that style of football. Say, say like uh, Sean Dyche. I mean, Sean Dyche's Burnley teams have always been very dominant in the championship, haven't they? Because it, it's uh, any kind of organized unit in, in such a long season tends to come out the other end of it, doesn't it? But, uh, you know, in the I, Premier I League, in the Premier him, League, he was showing up a little bit, wasn't he? 
I think with Chris Hewton, um, if he became Ireland manager, people would be moaning him as being Ireland manager. And I think it's just best that he doesn't become Ireland manager. I mean, you know, without sounding cruel towards him, I, I you know, I don't think, I, I think the way, as I said, the way international football is, you know, he'll never, he shouldn't become Ireland manager because it's all about coaching now in terms of, it, it, it's not just like get a guy in that's out of work. You know, like like Dominic yeah. McCarthy, it's now about an organization. It's about a team of coaches. It's it's about a guy spearheading that, such as Stephen Kenny. That's the way international management is. It was the same. It's the same with Gareth Southgate. It's not just an Irish thing. It's it's a world football thing. Is where we are in, uh, in twenty twenty two. It's not about just getting a guy. Well, you know, he did. A, he, he could do a decent job for us. You know, with a nod and a wink, he might get us into Euros, like like Trap, or or like Martin O'Neill. It's not about that now. It's about structure. Yeah. You know, it's about all this kind of stuff. So much more. So his is, time has is, is Brian Kerr's coach when we play some of the brandest football with one of the most talented teams. So I suppose just starting off. Yeah. So so Hewton's playing career. I mean, any younger listeners, you might be too familiar with his playing career. So he did play for Spurs, West Ham and Brentford. So he massed over 361 games, 53 caps for Ireland, one goal uh, between 1979 and 1991. He was the first ever mixed race player to play for Ireland when he made his debut in 1979 and of course played at Euro 88 and Italian 90. So he started coaching with Spurs in 1997. Um, actually a little bit earlier than that, but, but he was, he was first uh, named as caretaker of Spurs. One of his many uh, caretaker spells as uh, at Spurs. Of course they had a, a lot of managerial turbulence back in, uh, well, actually, I was going to say back in the back in the nineties, but they've had a lot of managerial turbulence for the for the last 30, 40 years or so. So he 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 was on the coaching staff. He played under eleven different or he coached under eleven different managers, and during that time, he was the assistant to to Brian Kerr with Ireland. So he did double up the job. He was he was with Spurs in Ireland at the same time. Of course, we we've done the Brian Kerr series. Do have a listen to that uh, back in our archives. And we we did discuss that, uh, I suppose, his managerial reign as Ireland manager. And David was full of praise for Brian Kerr, as always. <laughs> so, <laughs> so 2008, so we 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 covered Joe Kinnear in episode two of the Gaffer series. So we, we did kind of mention um, his role there. So he was actually appointed um, by Dennis Wise, wasn't he? Dennis Wise was the director of football at the time at Newcastle. Again, a very, very turbulent time, of course. Uh, and Mike Ashley had... I kind of taken over there at the time, hadn't he? Kind of, kind of bought over, and yeah. he, he, he kind of he he came in around the same time as as Joe Kinnear, and of course we mentioned in the Joe Kinnear episode that his first kind of major press conference. This is around October time. He swore, I think, over fifty times in five minutes, and and was more or less not banned, but it was kind of strongly suggested that he didn't he didn't attend any national media press conferences. So he he attended, Kinnear attended all the local ones. So all the kind of Newcastle press and they would have, you know, subsequently provided some of that information and provided mm. some of that, that footage to the, to the national uh, press. But, but Hewton was the one who would have dealt with with the, the national press. So the likes of BBC, the likes of Sky, it, it would have been Hewton. So he, he would have been... Um, he would have been very much in front of the cameras and one of the, the faces yeah. of the management team at the time. He's... So he really cut his teeth well with them. He's, I think it's fair to say with Chris Newton, you know, some of the stats you read out there, uh, coached under 11 different managers, I suppose, um, and so forth, is, is that he's a safe pair of hands, isn't he? He's just a safe pair of hands. And there's something to be admired about that. You know, I suppose as a coach, he's, he, 
he's a terrific player, by the way, for Ireland. Yeah. And yeah, he, he was our, our left back. Uh, you're right. Yeah, but Tally 90 came just a little bit too late from. Unfortunately, you know, I think we had Stan. Stanton came around at that time anyway. But there's something, I don't, I want to word this correctly, but there's something very unspectacular about Chris Hewton. You know, like he's just a very safe pair of hands. He's very steady. Trusted, that, I, don't want that, I think is the word. He's very tried and trusted. Yeah. And I, I don't want that to, I don't want people to misquote me and think that I'm, you know, I'm demeaning him in any way. There's something, a lot to be said about that. I mean, look at the amount of people that trusted him. You know, Dennis Wise, who came in from, I think he was Millwall manager, got into the FA Cup final against United. And then I think he took over Leeds, doing really well at Leeds. And then he left Leeds, I think, to go to Newcastle. And it was a very, and one of the first things he did was was appoint Chris Hewton to put with the the very, the complete polar opposite of um, Joe Kinnear. You know, like this complete oddball and this maverick. So you put this guy next to him and you let him deal with all the national media. Like that's just, that's just Chris Hewton in a nutshell, just, just a really, really safe pair of hands. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, like the turbulent time there in Newcastle, we did discuss in the, the Joe Kinnear episode, but when Joe Kinnear's contract lapsed, so of course he, he had to leave the role, didn't he? Because of illness and Alan Shearer took over Newcastle in 2009, but they were relegated. Uh, Hewton was, was promoted to caretaker manager, I suppose, at the start of the next season when, when they went into the championship. So in that season, uh, if anyone can remember that 2009-2010 season with Newcastle, so they so they walked to promotion, didn't they? Um, he he wasn't actually made the permanent manager until October time. So it did take a little bit of time for, for them to actually offer him the, the job on a full-time basis. But I mean, they were dominating the league at that stage and they, they couldn't really not appoint him. And in that in that season, he won the manager of the month, uh, the, the championship manager of the month award three times. So they were they were promoted the first time of asking, and they only lost four games all season. As you know, like the championship is a, is a very packed season. There's no forty six games or something like that around around that number that they play. So to lose yeah. four games all season, and, and it wasn't you know it, it it certainly wasn't the strongest of Newcastle teams. Like they did have Andy Carroll, didn't they? Then they didn't they sign Kevin Nolan and Joey Barton and Tim Crew as well. Yeah, given. Tim Crew as well. But 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 apart from that, like a lot of the lads that they they signed were were free agents. I think Peter Lovenkrantz was 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 one player, wasn't he? Like he was getting getting a bit older. So, um, and then Danny Simpson, I remember him going because because of course he was at Manchester United, wasn't he? But then they got like you know Marlon Harewood and Zero Kishiashvili. So all these kind of journeymen and so on. Leon Best was another one, wasn't he? So it, it wasn't exactly like a like a star studded Newcastle team, but they absolutely dominated the league. Um, and and he did make a number of free free signings, uh, free transfer signings, which which did kind of help. So, yeah, yeah, first season, and and I wouldn't say it was deceiving, but they they did dominate and they they did score a lot of goals. So I think even from an Irish perspective, people were looking at it and thinking, Jesus, Chris Hewton, he's playing lovely football with Newcastle. But a lot of it was was quite, as I said, not conservative, but certainly um, systematic and 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 very very organized. A little bit like Sean Dyche. Like I think there's a lot of parallels between Dyche and 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 Hewton. So uh, a good start to his managerial camp, uh, regime or his kind of career. And it's it's hard to believe that that was actually his first managerial job, his first full time managerial job, um, only in 2009. Yeah. Um... You know, I mean, he he's been coaching since the, the early nineties, and nearly twenty years later, like he only takes the management gig as well. He, he just 
maybe maybe I, I, that, that was always a weird one you know maybe that kind of uh, describes him even more like you know he's just a very conservative type manager very as I keep saying the safe pair of hands and you know probably he, he was obviously in demand um, as a coach very well respected and then you know but it, it is surprising that he did wait so long to step up maybe maybe the opportunity just never came along you know he is a London born lad and you know, he was at Tottenham for a number of years, a club he played for. So why would you want to leave? And he's probably never going to get the top job there anyway, because, you know, Tottenham are always going for the next. Tottenham are always um, going for the next set of fat, go faster stripes, weren't they? The next uh, the next fad. You know what I mean? Like, they're probably one of the first ones to, to hire a director of football and all this kind of, you know, Tottenham would always go for these kind of fangly gadgets where they probably had a man that probably would have had a bit more success because he always had a decent squad, I suppose. Yeah, and, and maybe a bit of organization would, pl- would have plenty, seen him. plenty of money as well, which I think a lot of people forget. So the 2010 yeah. 2011 season, so Newcastle promoted yeah. the first time of, of asking. The season started very well, so 6 0 win over Aston Villa and a 5 1 win over Sunderland and a first league win over, uh, over Arsenal in five years. So that was a 1 0 win at the Emirates Stadium with Andy Carroll scoring. So, a very, very good start to the season. And the Arsenal game was part of a three-game winning streak uh, in November, and it actually saw Newcastle go up to fifth place. So a very, very strong start. And within, literally within a few weeks, um, they went on a really poor run. Like they did go on a bit of a losing streak. They were drawn, drawn against some very poor opposition. And Hutton was actually sacked in the December. So as soon as they go up, he's almost sacked as, as quickly. And it was an extremely unpopular decision. Like they, this was, you know, this was... Um, I suppose one of the the ongoing disputes that the fans would have had with Mike Ashley. So uh, Derek Lambius, of course, was the was he the director of football, I think, at the time, and and even Alan Sugar. Um, obviously, there's the Spurs link there with Alan Sugar and Chris Hutton, but even he was critical of of Lambius, and yeah. and Sugar was, of course, notorious for sacking managers and and sacking anyone. Uh, you're fired, isn't it? You know, for for that case, so. He was a popular guy at Newcastle, and yeah, he 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 wasn't given a fair twist in the Premier League. I think it's fair to say. No, he wasn't. And yet again, you know, speaking of man, you know, of of a, of a big club, or in terms of being all over the place, and the, the new fangly gadgets. I mean, that's that's Newcastle, isn't it? Perfect description there. Here you have a man who's modest, organized, very sort of low key, and gets on with the job. You know, safe pair of hands, and then you have Newcastle, the big, the so-called big club. And by the way, I do like Newcastle, and I did go to a match up there. I think it was a two-two draw against uh, Crystal Palace actually, um, for my birthday. And I love the place, and I love the fans. But you know, they they're always demanding more, and it always seems to be this perception that they should be challenging for the title every year. And you have an owner like Mac, Mike Ashley, who's ambitious because he just sees dollar signs, and they see this guy. Yeah, he's kind of served. You know, he's a bit of a he's a bit of a useful. I'm not going to say a useful element for them to use, basically, to get them uh, into the Premier League. And I, I bet you they couldn't wait to fire him because he was probably too low key, too modest for them. Because Newcastle like to make a lot of noise, don't they? That's just like yeah. their this this uh, thing that they give off. And then you'd have someone like Alan Pardew comes in, who is the complete opposite. To Chris Hutton, where he, you know, he is that sort of uh, Cockney swagger, you know, the Eric, but you know, where Hutton is this modest man, 
obviously was Ghanaian and Irish roots uh, behind him. And he had this like total fucking complete opposite and gobshite with Alan Pardew and his new manager balance and all his bollocks. And he's coming in, you know, here's a guy who headbutted David Myler and did a stupid little dance and all this kind of bollocks, you know, and probably yeah. reveling all that, you know, you know, all these memes going on about him. And you probably thought like they're actually, remember the meme where he does the dance as West Ham manager? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he, he probably thought that was great and all those memes were showing how great he was, not like taking the piss of what an idiot he looked like. And he would have fit the Newcastle model, this loud, obnoxious fucking manager, you know, going in there. So they probably couldn't wait to sack Chris Hewton. And, 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 and to be, let's be honest, the first sign, the first sign of, um, of a couple of cracks that he could have plastered over, you never know, they got rid of him, boom, yeah. straight away, and it brought in Alan Pardew. And that just sums... That that manager and that club up perfectly. Well, to be fair, now then they finished fifth the following season under Pardew, and they 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 should have gone into the Champions League as well. I think it was a, it was a late capitulation. But just to go through Hutton's record, so um, seventy games in charge, thirty nine wins, seventeen draws, fourteen losses, and a fifty five point seven percent winning streak. Now, just keep in mind that ten of those fourteen losses came in the first three or four months in the Premier League. So. Um, you know, his first season, he, he Jesus, obviously the, the loss percentage was extremely low. So the following season then, um, he'd been linked with a load of clubs. He'd been linked with West Brom. He'd been, uh, sorry, Hewton again. Hewton been linked with West Brom. He'd been linked with uh, Cardiff and he'd been linked with West Ham. But he eventually took over at Birmingham City. So Birmingham freshly relegated uh, from the following season. Of course, they won the League Cup under Alex McLeish. And subsequently, they were in Europe, weren't they? They were in the, the Europa League. So... Hewton did get them through. He took over kind of in that summer and he got them through the qualifiers and got them into the Europa League um, group stages. But they did uh, go out in the group stage. They actually lost out by a point. They uh, on second place to get into the knockouts and they would have topped the group if they got another two points, I think. So, you know, they not not bad for their first European experience in over 50 years. And um something else then just another manager of the month award in the october so that kind of brought his his manager of the month awards up to four even though he was only managing for two years i suppose and he did get birmingham to fourth yeah. place but they did lose the playoff semi-final to blackburn or sorry to blackpool so a very very successful uh spell at birmingham city so 62 games in charge over a one and a half year spell 26 wins 21 draws 15 losses and a 41.9% uh, winning streak. And then, of course, all that former Birmingham caught the attention of Norwich City, who, of course, were a Premier League team at the time. So he was approached by Norwich that following summer, so the summer of 2012, uh, to replace Paul Lambert. So Paul Lambert had left for Aston Villa, I think, just before the end of the, the previous season. Uh, so it was his first game uh, it was a 5-0 loss of Fulham. Uh, but they did defeat Arsenal and Manchester United. Of course, like a big feature um, of that season, Dave, you probably remember, was was Wes Houlihan and Anthony Pilkington. I mean, the two of them were in, were in absolute fire. Then you Paul Tierney, who qualified for Ireland. He never actually played for us. And Mark Bunn as well, who, who qualified for Ireland. But Pilkington and, and Houlihan were, were two key men under Hewton, weren't they? Especially that game against Man United. Didn't, um, didn't Pilkington score the winner? Yeah. Uh, oh, God, Wes. Talking about an you know, underutilized player. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and yet again, I mean, Norwich, um, sort of unspectacular club, you know, and they, they go for, um, they go for Chris as well. Yeah, you know, he, you know, he did a very good job. I mean, he, I 
finish 11 in the league, you know, to, to take yeah. them from, I think, that, you know, it was, I don't quite remember that season too much, to be fair. I was a Liverpool fan, so I wasn't paying much attention to Norwich, unfortunately. So I'm not even going to try and blag it. Um, but uh, yeah, Pilkington was very good. Um, I do remember Wes Hulahan would just, those, um, he would score the odd beauty as he always would. I mean, you, you see a lot of these on the day. On this day, you know, this this day back in whenever with Wes Houlihan. And uh, I remember Pilkerton, he's another guy who we all thought he was going to do some really good things for Ireland under trap, but he just never kicked on. And his career just he sort of never really got a twist, though, did he? Never really got a run. Because remember, he played against the US and we scored a goal, but he was he was very, very good against him. He was a different type of player, very, very direct. He's still actually yeah. playing. He's only, he's only about 33, isn't he? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's just one of those that you kind of look at and go, why didn't you get more caps like Roy Delap a little bit, you know? Um, very direct player, but yeah, you know, he could have done a job. I don't know why he didn't work out from under O'Neill. Um, maybe O'Neill didn't realise he was Irish. I don't know. <laughs> I think at one stage, weren't, weren't they saying England were going to call him up because he, he played Ireland under 21s, but he was in great form that season, like really, really good form. And yeah. you know he he come the whole way up with Norwich, wasn't he playing in League One with Norwich at one stage? I think he he come up from Stockport and then he he transferred when they were kind of relegated to League One. So you know he he hit form out of nowhere, and I think he was actually getting lined up for the Euros, wasn't he in in, in twenty twelve? And Hulham was as well, and um, because they survived that season, didn't they? Norwich, you know they 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 done very yeah. very well, but yeah, it, it, I suppose. They were too technical for Travatoni, weren't they? So it just, it just didn't work out. So the following season, 2013 to 2014, so really, really dismal season um, for, for Hewton and Norwich. So they, they struggled, went through some really, really awful spells. Um, he was dismissed in the April of 2014. Of course, Norwich went down that season. So it was kind of an up and a down, wasn't it? There was never any kind of major heights. So there was nothing really major standout about it. I suppose the fact that we had an Irish manager in the Premier League was was great in its own right. So he departed Norwich April 2014, just uh, just under two years, I suppose. 82 games in charge, 24 wins, 23 draws, and 35 losses, and a win percentage of 29.3. So even though they're relegated, he technically wasn't relegated with them. So he he, he hadn't been relegated from the Premier League at all. So oh, this is... Sorry, go ahead, David. No, I was just going to say, I mean, like... They obviously took a gamble, didn't they? We'll get rid of him in April because the season finishes in May, you know, last where there, they probably would be more prudent just there's only four on Chris. It's only four or five games left or something. I don't think they'd already been relegated either. I think I think there were a few games left. See the thing was, like if I was there, I would have thought, well, you know what? If we go down, we go down. You know, it's not great you get the parachute payments, but I if who better really than Chris Hewton to get you back up again? Yeah, you know, is that is that pervert, perverse psychology? I know, uh, in in English football, but you go down, you get the parachute payments, and you know, there's a good chance you're gonna go down. So you keep keep the same guy, give him a chance to get you back up, because you know he's got form. He's a very good championship manager, and you do get that little bounce. Now, if it doesn't work out earlier on, and that decline continues in the championship, then yeah, you get rid. But yeah, just Norwich, very trigger happy. Always, always one, you know, with Norwich and West Brom, very trigger happy clubs back in the day. Yeah. Again, another club that, not that they have major money, but they spent a lot of money, didn't they, on, on I suppose, lower key signings. So 2014 to 15, this is where Hutton's big break really came, wasn't it? Brighton and Hove Albion. So, yeah. Sammy Hippia, um, or Hoopia, I used to call him Hippia, uh, 
Hippia. Hippia, yeah. Sacked in the December of 2014. And... Brighton had been in the playoffs for the previous two seasons, but they were in really, really bad form. Hippia was kind of, wasn't he, with Bayer Leverkusen, and he was expected to, to kind of get them up and promote it and so on, but they kind of completely went off the rails, went completely off the grid, and they finished, um, actually under Hewton, they, they, they were more solidified, but they didn't exactly get into the playoff. They only finished six points above relegation, 20th. So Hewton's first season, even though it was really only half a season, they they were very, very, uh, very underwhelming. But I suppose that the, what Brighton fans kind of looking at a few of the archives were saying was that they were a much more solid team and that they they did expect that season to be built upon. So, of course, the 2015 to 16 season, a much improved season. And Hewton led them to third place in the championship, but they missed out on promotion on goal difference, a goal difference of minus two. So if they scored two more goals, they would have gone up instead of Middlesbrough. And they were actually only four points off the league title themselves. And we spoke about Newcastle only losing four games all season in, in 2010. And what an achievement that was. Because, I mean, the championship is a, is a very long season, isn't it? They only lost five games that season, Brighton, even though they only finished fifth. So it just shows you how well Hewton had done when he was given a, a fair twist of the full season. They did lose the playoff semi-final to Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, despite only being four points off the championship itself, uh, winning the championship in one point, or not even 1.2 goals, I suppose, off promotion. And they actually went unbeaten until December. Um, and then in December, I think they lost around five games and they drew a lot of games. So they, they had a really bad winter run. And then at the end of January, they went unbeaten from then until the end of the season. So so all this kind of longevity and all this solidity, it was it was kind of creeping up with this this Brighton team, which was great to see with Hewton. So 2016 to 17, they were finally promoted. So they were runners up, very, very close to winning the league again, one point off the uh, the championship title. And they lost out to Hewton's former club, Newcastle, who just been relegated the previous season. So they actually went unbeaten again from the September to January. So Kind of similar to, to some of the managers we've looked at. I mean, Roy Keane, uh, Joe Kinnear, we looked at as well. I mean, all these, re- and, and David O'Leary too, all these really, really impressive spells, these these record winning streaks and these record unbeaten runs. Like Hutton basically had two seasons where they have massive, um, you know, where they have massive un- unbeaten streaks. Then he goes into the Premier League. So 2017 to 2018. So of course, Brighton's first season in the Premier League, finishing 15th. A little bit similar to Roy Keane's first season with Sunderland. They really struggled on the goal-scoring front. And, and this is what we kind of spoke about at the start, this whole kind of idea that, that Hewton plays this free-flowing football. It's, it's conservative. Doesn't really result in too many goals. So they scored 34 goals all season. Of course, there's 38 games in the Premier League season, isn't there? Now, the interesting thing from that year, he was awarded the Manager of the Month Award in January 2018. Uh, so, of course, the Premier League Manager of the Month Award for January 2018. And he was the first black manager to do so. Um, and, of course, uh, Brighton securing Premier League survival early in May. So they were well secure before the end of the season. Uh, kind of revolutionary in some way, Dave, wasn't it? The first the first black manager of the month in the Premier League and also the first uh, mixed race Irish player. Um, so great to see, wasn't it? I mean, and, and certainly meant to pride the fact that he's Irish as well, that, that he was to win that award. Yeah, I mean, uh, I always refer to him as the first black man, uh, black player to play for Ireland. Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> just, but when you said mixed race at the top, I'm like, hmm? um, yeah, look, yeah, I mean, he, he's a pioneer. He's a trailblazer in a number of ways, obviously being the first black player to play for Ireland um, in 79. 
uh, thankfully didn't get any bullets in the post like a certain I think was it Cyril Regis was the first Cyril Regis was the first uh, English player yeah yeah a black English player so you know none of that nonsense for uh, Chris Hewden thank God um, yeah. but yeah it's I mean you're kind of seeing a trend well we're, we're at 2018 here aren't we so um, yeah. I, I won't give away too much, too much of a spoiler but yeah you know look he gets them in very solid, very steady Eddie, you know, and, and, and you can see it probably you'd expect a club that have never been in the Premier League before to, you know, anywhere, anywhere will do kind of thing as long as you're staying up and then just kind of solidify yourself. And that's what he was all about, wasn't he? He was, he was just all about, he seemed to be kind of used as this mechanism by clubs to sort of just get us up, solidify us and, you know, we'll, we'll see where we go from there. Yeah, see if he can progress what, them, basically, yeah. Yeah, you know, we're, we're, gonna, we're, we're coming, you know, don't want to give it away too much, but uh, that's probably one thing you would... That seems to be the major problem with Chris Hewton's record, is that he just could never kick on. Well, it's like a standstill, yeah. isn't it? Similar to Sean Dyche, and I mean... I think yeah. Sean Dyche's luck is about to run out this season, this with Burnley, but it was it was this whole thing where... Burnley or, or even Brighton under Hute. I mean, it was only, geez, it was only two seasons really. He was with Brighton in the Premier League, but yeah, he would solidify them. He'd, he'd make them kind of a, I wouldn't say an established Premier League team, but a, but a safe Premier League team. Like they, they were probably going to be in the realm relegation, but, but you know, towards the tail end of the season, they might not necessarily be in a relegation scrap. But the question was, could he progress them to European places? You know, can could he could he improve them? And yeah. that that was never really the case with Hutton. So the following season, 2018 to 2019, they uh, Brighton did finish 17th. They did get to an FA Cup semi-final. They lost uh, to Man City uh, in in the semi-final, and they finished two points clear of the relegation zone. So that's where they were in a relegation fight. Um, that season, and yeah. they were very, very goal shy again. I think they only scored one more goal. I, I had to stat there a minute ago. I think they only scored one more goal than the previous season, thirty-five goals. So very, very goal shy again. But I, I remember he, he was, I was he saying. was on the he was sacked the the day after the final game of the season. So yeah. um, so of course 20, 2014 to twenty nineteen. So five year spell, his longest managerial spell. Uh, to date and of course just to go through his record really quickly uh, at Brighton so 215 games in charge 88 wins 57 draws and 70 losses and a win percentage of 40.9 yeah I, I remember uh, when he was sacked I was walking down towards St James's Park near the Pall Mall and I just saw the big I actually took a photograph of it and I put it on Lansdowne Road uh, on the Evening Standard I had like Shock as Hutton was sacked. Still, the photograph somewhere, and I was shocked. I was shocked at the time, and I, you know, I think a lot of people are very outraged by it because he's a very likable guy, and you know, he's five years. But now I have time to reflect on it, and now that you've, you know, you've done your brilliant research on this, and you've gone through all the, the way you've outlined it to me, there, I can kind, I can't, you know, I'm going to sound like a bastard here, but I can understand why Brighton would make that decision because they probably looked at it and thought. As you know, he, he he's got us to the Premier League. He stabilised the club, got us into the Premier League. He consolidated our position, and he's you know he's done really well here. But you know we finished fifteenth in the first season. We were in a relegation dogfight the next season. Where's this going to go? If we want to progress, is this the guy for us? And I don't think that's in Chris Hutton's locker 
as being a manager. I don't think he knows how to get onto the next level. And I think that's a shame. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can even remember, you know, at the top of the arrow, actually, when when you... Fuck it. Oh, sorry, I'll, I'll go again. <laughs> fuck it, now. Top of the arrow. What am I, a fucking news... Can't... <clears throat> yeah, just think back to, to uh, you know, the beginning of the podcast, Nick, when you were on about when he was assistant manager at uh, Spurs playing from the early 90s, playing under, or sorry, uh, coaching under uh, 14 different managers. And you kind of think, it, was that the problem really f- for Chris Uton as a manager? Was he playing it too safe? Was it was he maybe not adventurous enough or not bold enough to, to, to take um, himself and the clubs he managed to the next level? And that was probably his downfall in the end. That's why he do, seems do to mean, have a... Do you mean because he saw how delicate a managerial job was? Yeah. He, yeah. I, I mean, and it, and it is, and especially the club like Tottenham, um, certainly in the 90s. But it just, it kind of just strikes me that, that, you know, managers, the way they manage a team, it's always an extension of the personality, isn't it? You know, um, you, you look at Ferguson, for example, feisty, you know, full of life. That was Man United attacking you know like come you know you back me into a corner going to come out swinging Klopp as well you know this loud brash heavy metal football kind of thing you know real bouncy energetic you know passionate I'm a Chris Hewton lovely guy but very sort of cautious uh very timid lovely lovely man but maybe just a little bit too timid to uh to for the management game at you know and I know it sounds terrible because he does have a very good record but it just seems that, yeah, he just played it too safe. And that will only get you so far. You know, if he just maybe took that little bit more risk, that little bit more of adventure, you never know. Because he has the ability, look at all, like, look at what he's achieved in football. I'm not, I'm not dismissing his career, by the way, and his record as a manager. You know, look at, just listen back through uh, th- this podcast and his achievements and, and, you know, getting those teams into the Premier League from the Championship, teams that were near relegation, you know, uh, and, and in, the, in dismay, like Newcastle, when he got relegated on a share, the fact that he took that ship, steadied it, and brought him back up again in the first, first part of call. Like, it's just um, magnificent achievements, but I just think too cautious, really, to take him on to the next level. And I, and I think a lot of clubs saw that as well, you know. Yeah, and speaking of kind of getting teams from, you know, borderline relegation in the championship up to the Premier League, Nottingham Forest, so we took over in October 2020. Uh, Forest have really been struggling, haven't they? They were they actually finished 17th under Hewton, uh, but they looked really good. Similar, it's, it's kind of similar to his first season at Brighton, or his first half season at Brighton. They finished 20, didn't they? They were nearly relegated, but they, they were still solid and they were still getting results here and there. And I think a lot of Forest fans probably thought, well, um this is a similar kind of circumstance and we finished 17th. It wasn't the end of the world. But then the start of the 2021-2022 season, so this season, essentially, he was sacked after taking just one point from seven matches and it was Forrest's worst start to any domestic season since 1913. Subsequently now, I think it's Steve Cooper is the manager. They're now uh, pushing for the playoffs. So <laughs> it's it's almost kind of like a full reverse of Brighton, isn't it? Like he's... He's um he's left them and now they're in a much better position. But again, it had gone very, very stale. And it's a shame, you know, because it was only 2020. This is probably the longest amount of time he's been out of a, of a managerial job. As you said at the start of the show, he's a technical 
advisor, technical director with Ghana. And Ghana do have a, an interim manager, don't they? So he could actually manage them in the World Cup. Who knows? But it, it's 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 kind of a break in longevity, isn't it? I mean, since 2009, I mean, 51, he was getting his first full-time managerial gig. So since 2009, he really hasn't been out of a job. So it, it was a shame because that Forest role just seemed, as I said, a carbon copy of the Brighton role, didn't it? Just, just in terms of their their circumstances and so on. And, and such a big club that you think they might have push for promotion under Hewton, seeing as he was an expert at it. Yeah, but, you know, time catches up with us all a little bit, doesn't it? I could be wrong, but I, I just get the feeling, you know, a bit like Mick, you know, he's from that same era, isn't he? Around the same age too. I think Chris is, what, 63? 63, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think well, Mick's 61, 62. So, you know, he's kind of around that, around that same era, that same age. I, I, I think that that could be his last big job. Um, I mean, he, you know, as he said, he could manage Ghana in the World Cup. It'd be a lovely end for him, you know, a lovely fitting end for him. But I, I think he's a top-level manager. I, I think his best days are behind him now. Like, football has evolved. And, you know, that's not, yet again, it's, I'm probably sound like I'm very harsh on Chris. But football moves on. Time moves on. Yeah. It will be a time when Pep, Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp, these guys, you know, football will will pass by those guys, you know, Mourinho as well. So I think that's happened with Chris Hewton. And, you know, no, it doesn't help that Forrest were a basket case anyway when he took over. But but yet again, he's that safe pair of hands, isn't he? And he thought, ah, he'll, he'll steady the ship and he'll get us back into the Premier League. And it just wasn't meant to be. But, yeah, I, 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 I'd be very surprised if I, um, if you see him at top tier club again, I, I think. That might, I think you're going to see more of the backroom stuff, you know, the technical director. I think that's kind of where he's at at the moment, isn't he? You know, if you need somebody yeah. to go in and, and organize your the technical side of things, uh, he's your he's your man for it. You know, I, I think maybe his days in the dugout are probably done. He's probably sick of it as well, you know. He's probably thinking, like, it, 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 I find it so interesting, though, how, how he was he was considered a really well renowned coach. I mean, in the in the noughties, anyway, yeah. he was he was probably one of the best coaches, let's say in the in the Premier League and then of course at Newcastle he went in as a coach and then he became assistant manager and then he became a, a manager altogether so he was really into the nitty-gritty and even if you think back to his time at Ireland under Brian Kerr and he was he he was very much front and center at times wasn't he because anytime um you know a player would go onto the pitch you'd, you'd have him there with his tactics board and you know his, his notes and stuff up with the subs and you know, that, that was a big feature. That was kind of the first time I started taking notice of, of Chris Hewton. I was like, Jesus, who's, who's this lad who's really, you know, probably probably wearing his tracksuit and shorts and really, really hands-on. And, I mean, it's it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because the amount of people looking for Hewton as, as Ireland manager uh, without much of a knowledge around his his tactics and, and, and around how his team set up. But, I mean, as I said, we said this earlier, maybe I don't want to repeat myself too much, but we did we did talk about, Brian Kerr and, and the Brian Kerr era. I mean, in, in episodes we did around this time last year, but you know, that that was our golden generation, wasn't it? That was probably one of the finest ensembles of footballers we've ever had. And yeah, Hewton was the man. I mean, Brian Kerr was the man in charge, but Hewton was the man doing the, the hands-on coaching, wasn't he? And setting the team up a certain way. Yeah, and it didn't suit that style of the player that those players we had at the time. You know, you look at Robbie Keane and Damon Duff and you know, those guys really loved, shall we say, the Mick McCarthy um, style of management, you know, and the kind of the fun and the atmosphere and, you know, that togetherness, which we really didn't have on the Brian Kerr. 
and, and Chris Uden, and it was very boring. And and it was boring. I'm sorry if anyone wants to listen to say, you know, and have a problem with that, go back, do what I did, go back and watch the games. They were boring. They were terrible to watch. It was a fine, not not our not our best um, group of players, but it, it was a very good group of players. You know, I will always argue with you, Nick. Our finest group of players was in 1987. But there you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it was, but it was a very good team. You know, you had Roy Keane not the peak of his powers, but you had, you know, he was kind of he was a waning force. But he could still, you know, he still was very good against France in Dublin, uh, his last game actually. And you know, you had players like Dolphin Keane and Car came back. He wasn't a player, but Steve Finn and Shea Given, Richard Dunn. You know, it was a really, really good um, ensemble, I suppose. But yeah, yeah it was just. That that's another thing that sums them up. It's not what we need right now. Anyone asking for for Chris Eaton to be our manager, I'm sorry, you're you're not doing your stuff. If Stephen you, if Stephen know. Kenny if Stephen Kenny who I mean Stephen Kenny's probably yeah. going, going to be manager for the next ten years to say, but let's say he got sacked after the European Championships, do you think Chris Eaton's name will come back into the equation? It will always come back into the equation. I'm, but but, would it, but will, will it come back into the equation with? The FAI, like never mind fans, it's, it's never really come into the equation with, with, with the FAI. But what about, or, or, or sorry, with them, um, with the FAI realistically? But do you think, do you think he could, do you think he'll manage Ireland someday? No, no, um, no, I don't. He, he could be nearly 65 by the time, you yeah. know, it, it realistically, if things don't work out well with, with Stephen Kenny, he could be nearly 65 and he probably hadn't managed. And if, if he was to become Ireland manager, I would be apoplectic because I think that would just be completely just tearing up. That would be tearing up about four years of progress. And it would be going back. It would literally just be going back to the dark days of Irish football in terms of, you know, getting a manager in who's, you know, Oh yeah, he was, but you know, he he was this great manager in the Premier League twenty years ago, and he's Irish. ten years ago, and he's Irish. So you know, he, you know, you might as well get in David O'Leary. <laughs> you know what I mean? You'd be harking back. Oh yeah, but he did this great. You know, he had this great time with Leeds. You know, it, it'd be ridiculous to do that. Um, so no, he should. He there probably was a time for him to be Ireland manager. Um, you know, probably after maybe around Stan's time or. But, you know, we had Trapattoni at the time, so it just never really fit for him, yeah. to be fair. But, you know, as I said, really good guy, really good football man, lovely, lovely fella. And he's got a, he's, I think he's got a, a career to look back on as it stands and be very, you know, I'm very proud of that. He'll always be remembered fondly in Newcastle. He'll always be remembered fondly in Brighton and rightfully so. And I think in Norwich City as well. You know, he, he's, he didn't do a terrible job at Norwich. And he was fighting, you know, he, he was trying to hold the ocean back with a broom at Norwich, you know, limited budget compared to other clubs. You know, they, they could break the transfer records, but it's still, you know, it's still a drop in the ocean to, in, to where you're at <laughs> in the Premier League, you know. Yeah. Um, so he did, I think he did a very good job. I think he's a very good coach, but no, I wouldn't want to see him as our manager. And I do think his days are, are done. Yeah. Um, in the dugout at a top level club, anyway. But there's so many people who'd love to see him manage our. There, there, there's there is a misconception that he plays this free flowing style of football, but it's yeah, he doesn't. It's, it's certainly not. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. He, he definitely. Doesn't. And as, as I said, like I would challenge people to go back and look at the goals scored by 
um, any of his Premier League teams, let's say. So Norwich in the Premier League and, and Brighton in the Premier League, like they, they, they weren't even averaging a goal a game. So I think that, that kind of speaks volumes, doesn't it? A couple of thrashings as well. I'm not saying he's a bad manager. I'm just saying he's not a contemporary manager. Maybe, you know, you have a lot of non-contemporary managers who are managing in the, in, in the Premier League, don't you? I mean, Sam Allardyce seems to end up there all the time. He's, you know, he's um, Steve Bruce is another one. Uh, Roy Hodgson, although he was quite adaptable, I must say. You know, you, you, you do get these guys getting gigs in, in, in the Premier League. And, and Chris Eaton will probably get another domestic or another club job. But for international football, no, it's 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 not the style that that we need. He has had international experience, and he didn't exactly get the best out of um, you know probably one of our most talented groups ever. And at the time, he was one of the best assistants in the Premier League. So just to keep that in mind. So we're going to leave it there. This is our uh, second last Gaffer series episode. We are going to finish up next week with Mick McCarthy's club career. Oh. Yeah, so that's going to be a very, very interesting one. Of course, we did do the Mick McCarthy Ireland series, so that's going back nearly a year at this stage, Dave, isn't it? So I do think people should go back and listen to that because it might put a lot of the, the stuff we'll discuss next week into, into context. So um, we're going to leave it there. As I said, thank you again to David. We hope you enjoyed it. Do go back and listen to the last few episodes. So we did look at David O'Leary, Joe Kinnear, Roy Keane, and of course today, Chris Hutton. Do subscribe on we're uh, on any platform that you get your podcast on so spotify itunes and google of course you if you don't want to pay for anything you can just go on to greenmachinepodcast.com and all of our episodes are up there on the website and of course like and subs uh, like and follow all our different social media platforms so of course instagram twitter facebook uh, that is the green machine podcast and of course if you can please give a follow and a like to all of the social media platforms of lansomro.e so we're going to leave it there take care and come on you boys in green